1: and on Instagram and Twitter at BurnedByBooks. Let's start the show. When the novel Less by Andrew Sean Greer won the 2017 Pulitzer Prize for Fiction, there was the immediate sense that a mold had been broken. The expectation of a serious-toned, often mournful narrative of historical or contemporary crises had been cast aside for a novel that reveled both in its joyfulness and buffoonery. There could not have been a less serious protagonist than Arthur Less, who in the midst of a midlife and love life crisis, embarks on a series of ill-fated academic invitations and appointments around the globe. And while there is much profound in what Greer has to say about love, loss, aging, just to name a few of his interests, the inflection of comedy, often broad and replete with puns and physical gags, makes these universal topics of literature feel fresh and newly seen. So when the news came of a sequel that would send the beloved Arthur Less across the United States in search of paying gigs to offset financial ruin, there was the equivalent of a literary earthquake. Of the many galleys I've had the fortune of receiving, it was Less is Lost that provoked the most jealousy amongst friends and colleagues. Why is that? What about Arthur Less, a middling novelist with a habit of causing social disaster wherever he goes, feels so inviting and comforting? In the sequel to Less, we are treated to Arthur's undesired odyssey across the U.S. in a camper van with a pug named Dolly. The tailored bright blue suit is subbed out for overalls and a cowboy hat. This isn't an occasion to mete out comedic foibles at the expense of middle America. It's a calling to see misunderstandings as crucial to human experience. This is a novel that takes seriously the ways in which gaffes and missteps are themselves catalysts to seeing the invisible ties that bind us. As often as Arthur is convinced that his difference from others will leave him loveless and isolated, His actual experiences prove that the fear of that loneliness is the main barrier to sharing in the delight of the ridiculousness of so much of our short lives. And that ridiculousness is wonderfully on display in Less is Lost. There is more butchering of the German and Italian languages to hilarious effect, a new appreciation for the absurdity of literary prizes and a theater troupe dedicated to the unexpurgated dramatization of literary works, including a six-hour-long To the Lighthouse, where the lighthouse itself has a role. But along with that ridiculousness comes the patience and generosity of love, and the importance of forgiveness, and the revelation of fame's burden. Less is Lost, like its predecessor, proves that comedy has the wiser voice in speaking to our contemporary moment, It is with much anticipation that I welcome Andrew Sean Greer to the show.
2: Thank you so much for having me. What a wonderful intro.
1: I'm really, really glad you're here. Um, Less was just um, a a wonderful literary moment in my life and a lot of my friends' lives, and Less is Lost is such a joyful return to that world. Whereas um, Less was a jaunt across the globe, Less is Lost is an unlikely and largely undesired tour of the United States. We live in a moment in which our nation feels less like a unitary whole and more like fifty individual states, most of which would prefer to have nothing to do with one another. Why did you decide to have Arthur crisscross these divergent geographies and cultures?
2: Well, I think if if last was a book where I was uh, trying to stare at my greatest fears and 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 get through them by making light of them. Uh, maybe turning 50 or or being alone or those things. Uh, uh, this was a book in 2016 after the election. I thought, I don't understand this country and I have to think about what I'm most afraid of and head towards that for whatever novel I'm writing. So I thought, I'm afraid of Alabama. I'm mm-hmm. going to rent a RV and travel for six weeks across the southern part of the United States and the deep south and and see what's there. And I didn't, Think it was an Arthur Less novel. It was. I had different characters, and it wasn't working. And I finally just had to confront the fact that I already had a great narrator and a ridiculous protagonist who could go across the country and help me confront these the these worries uh, with a sense of humor and lightness.
1: The narration is an an important part of the the sequel, as it was in in Less, and having Freddie Pelu um, talk us through the ways in which his partner uh, Arthur Less is making this extraordinary journey and and needing to find a way back to freddie ultimately but having to go through a gauntlet of 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 sorts so why was freddie an important narrative voice for you
2: well it's a great way for me to um have a loving but chiding narrator who is somehow omniscient um but still capable of having his own first person account of what's going on and how it affects him so as a writer it gives me a lot of latitude And since he's an English teacher, it gives me a lot of pleasure in in language and referring to other kinds of literature, things that I don't think Arthur would tell this story. I will never know how Arthur would write this story. Um, It gives me a nice distance, especially since Arthur is a little like myself and I draw from my life, it gives me a distance from whoever I'm portraying.
1: Hmm, That's very interesting. Uh, Less is Lost, like its predecessor, is a, a wildly funny book. I would argue this makes it somewhat of a rare breed in 21st century American literature. There's almost a sense that in such bleak times, humorous literature cannot meet its own moment. In fact, your first story collection, which is how I came to know your work, how it was for me, runs towards the serious end of that spectrum. Uh, What made you set out to write a pair of novels, obviously you've just said that it wasn't expecting to be a pair, but ended up being a pair, um, that operate in that comedic voice?
2: First of all, I'm delighted to hear that someone read that book. <laughs>
1: I, I, I actually had it as uh, in a class uh, in graduate school, so a lot of people read it.
2: Oh, that's fantastic to hear. Yeah, no, it's deadly serious. And I have a, a number of books where you would not crack a smile. Um, but I think in all of those books, what I was most interested in playing with language, I had a Victorian novel that was great fun to write because of the language I got to use. And... Um, and with less and less is lost, it feels like the same um, project of, of exploring what language to use to tell this story and how uh, fancy I can be without being ridiculous. And luckily, mm-hmm. a comic novel, you can go all the way because you're going <laughs> for ridiculous. So my my worse tendencies, which is to overwrite and make it too florid, are, 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 are um, features in a comic. <laughs> so- <laughs> it was a great solution for me.
1: Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, and, you know, you, you use the word ridiculous, and that's exactly what Aristotle thought comedy was, an imitation of uh, the ridiculous, ridiculous people, ridiculous language. And we can safely say that, that Arthur is often ridiculous, sometimes speaks ridiculously. Uh, and in the case of his legendarily bad German, uh, he is, uh, again, in less' Lost, quite ridiculous. What makes our failures with speaking another language so rife with humor?
2: Well, I, the reason I had, in Les, I had him a bad German speaker was that I was getting to the German chapter, and I thought, you know what I really don't want to do? Have a lot of funny accents in English when someone has learned it as a second language so fluently. I, I, I live in Italy and try to make my way and I realized how difficult it is. And I wouldn't want to make fun of someone for doing that. So I thought it's funnier to hear an American be the ridiculous one and how we must sound when Americans rarely learn a foreign language. And if we do, we're just so proud. You know, everyone thinks they speak French, but ask <laughs> the French. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. And then it seems like that there's a vulnerability there that you you like to 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 play with and to bring into those interactions and it's you know even when when uh, arthur is is doing so badly in another language he's often met with with patience and and then when there are misunderstandings which are funny to us the person on the other side of that conversation will try and kind of continue on even so is that come from your own experiences in italian
2: well it certainly does I mean I think something he does I do, I try to do is to have utter confidence. It's the only way to to dive into a language and it means you're going to be absurd because you are ignoring all the problems you're causing by just forging ahead to ordering that pasta dish no matter how <laughs> badly it comes out and at least in Italy people are very generous in understanding everything from the accent to the slightly wrong words to the wrong tense. They'll just go with it and and follow along with you, which is great, a great pleasure.
1: Yeah, and I, from my own experience, having lived in several places and 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 spoken mostly bad versions of the languages, it is it it's more common that you encounter that generosity. And I'm not always sure that's the case in uh, in the U.S. Um, so I thought it was interesting that you you ended up having Germans show up in 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 the U.S. unexpectedly for him to talk to you. Um, but it, is it your sense that there's less generosity? with, um, those who are speaking English as a second language.
2: Absolutely. I, I, I see it all the time here. People, um, can't understand an accent or, or can't understand, uh, uh an obvious misplacement of words or, or stresses. Like if someone says photograph instead of photograph, Americans have no idea what they're saying. And, I think it takes having been humbled by our own experience to 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 reach your ear a little farther. But Americans were not confronted with foreign languages that often. We have um, and except if you live in in California or southern states where spanish is is the most common language, um you don't you're not confronted with your own inability to use your um, grammar school teachings. You just forge on ahead. And I think, we're never forced to look at uh, something we take for granted.
1: Mm-hmm. For me, misunderstanding and whether that's in language or or just the the everyday interactions we have with others, in Les's is loss, puts on display the frailty of human connection. In Arthur's case, that operates both on the micro level of his insecurity with his uh, in his relationship to the narrator, Freddie Pelu, and the macro of his desire to connect with people he meets on his trip, but also his sense that he will always be an outsider no matter where he goes. What do you see in Arthur that might speak to the universal of our desire for community and our insecurity that we are unfit for such comminglings?
2: Oh, well, I think of him, I've seen people talk about these novels as fish out of water novels. And I think, no, that's, that's not it at all. I mean, he's, he's a fish in water. This is an American crossing America, who's Mm -hmm. having trouble connecting. And I think that is a, a circumstance a lot of us, um, can relate to right now. Um, Either that or we retreat into the people who are precisely like us and, and never have to be confronted with that gap of, of connection, which to me is essential to human happiness, honestly, and, and certainly trying to keep this political group together. But I, I think that, I mean, it was, it was Forster who said that the, the whole purpose of, of life is, is that connection
1: hmm. Yes. Yeah. Only connect. Of his uh, of his many personal foibles, Arthur Less is most preoccupied in this novel with the idea that he might be a bad gay, that there might be some prescribed and expected way for him to live as a gay man that he has failed to live up to. And that in that failure, he's letting down a community of gay and queer people. Could you talk about Arthur's anxiety uh, around not being the right kind of gay man?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's funny in the book, but I think it's a real anxiety that a lot of people, a lot of writers and artists from any particular community, the desire to commute to to write about and portray that community while still being honest to telling the story in the way that you are bound to tell it in that artist's instinct, those will be in conflict. You're not going to write a a political polemic exactly the way you're, you're supposed to. Um, you're going to have complicated characters and that's going to, if you write about your family, it happens, you you disappoint mm-hmm. them, you let them down as you think that you are um, glorifying them in prose eternally, but uh, they just see that you told that secret about where they keep their napkins, you know?
0: <laughs> Slash NBN fifty to get fifty percent off. Yeah, and and do
1: do you think it there's perhaps a special onus um, for Arthur as he goes across a country that is you know riven with all kinds of especially now on on display homophobia transphobia um is there is there a greater onus for arthur as he is thinking about america as this uh, a, an experiment in in bringing together people of difference that he that he get it right
2: well i think he's 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 forced to he tries to go in disguise um, he tries to to dress up as what he thinks what a heterosexual white man would wear in the deep south, and of course his, the disguise is is hopeless. It's a kind of drag, and he's everyone knows he's gay, and he is representing whether he wants to or not. And I think that terrifies him because he doesn't think of himself as a perfect representative of that, or forthright enough, or um, is, is slightly unprepared for it. As with everything, it's his 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 innocence, his vulnerability. That um, causes him trouble, but I think is his strength as a as a hero, and that is why he's able to connect with people.
1: Mm-hmm. I love that he's constantly confused for someone from the Netherlands, <laughs> and he thinks okay. it's going to be them sort of at, you know outing him from his you know hetero uh, outfit, but in indeed they think he's just from Europe because he speaks very crisply. <laughs>
2: this is exactly what happened to me in the south I, at least once I, <laughs> I tripled it for the novel because that's that's comedy if you if you multiply it but i just couldn't believe i thought i'm an american <laughs> what are you hearing <laughs> and <then I> understood. <laughs>
1: that's fantastic um the, I, I'm not sure how much you um, engage with or are aware of the sort of academic debates around queer pessimism and queer utopia in art, but you seem to be either tacitly or explicitly arguing for the idea of a kind of universal and everyday quest to love ourselves and others better as a kind of queer ideal to be better by loving more fully and at least occasionally selflessly. Am I wrong in think thinking that you're engaged in this conversation?
2: That's exactly right. I think that's beautifully put. I, I am distantly aware of, of those debates. Um, but I, and this could be, I'm terribly old fashioned because I'm basically coming out of the seventies Um the sexual liberation idea of fighting for that our our fights are all combined you know we're we're fighting for for love for all people so i'm not fighting for gay marriage i'm fighting for abortion rights like these are all together and i'm fighting for for the people who might not vote with me but who suffered from having a child too young i met, met so many people like that their dreams went away and i really felt for them even though They're not gonna vote to support someone else in their situation. I'm going to try to have empathy for them
1: and it helps me continue my fight. That's so nicely said. You wonderfully skewer prize committees in this novel. Um, Les is appointed to one, and they are as fatuous and fickle as, as we imagine from the outside that such randomly cobbled together groups might be. As someone who's won and, and benefited from the Pulitzer, how did you arrive at your depiction of this particular prize committee?
2: Well, I mean I'm skewering myself a little bit because I think when I won the prize a lot of people said how did that happen?
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> I certainly asked that. I was not expecting to be even be on that list. And so I just thought to other committees I've been on how these things happen that you Things people get um, taken out for 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 fickle reasons, and 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 people have demands and and fantasies and and other um, other ideas, hidden ideas at work, agendas, um, and you end up with uh, uh, an unlikely winner.
1: Am I wrong in thinking that uh, Arthur's former lover Robert was the winner of the Pulitzer Prize in poetry?
2: He did. He won in poetry, yes. <laughs>
1: did did you revel in that in that irony as a kind of manifest destiny?
2: Well, Les did feel like a sort of magic book and that everything I wrote down in it later came true.
1: <laughs> um, what were what were other things that came true?
2: Now I'm trying to th- think about it, but there were I don't know about the soup being ruined or like there were all little details that then later would happen to me. <laughs>
1: Oh my goodness, that's so funny. When I talk to the import, to friends about the importance of less, which I'm sure will be followed up by conversations about its successor, they talk about it in terms of hopefulness and joy. This is a book, they say, that is a lighthouse in in dark times. Why do you think less and now less is lost has resonated so much with so many different kinds of readers?
2: It's hard to answer because uh, less I wrote, you know, Into into the Void without a, a huge readership, and I wrote it precisely to be a book of joy um, because I was in a dark place and I needed that book on the shelf. And I, as Toni Morrison said, you're the one who has to write it. And it, I've gotten so many responses from around the world from all kinds of people about how much they needed that book and it reminded me that some of the books I cherish the most are the ones that gave me that sense and it's hard to to trust a book if it is happy all the time or if it doesn't seem to be speaking honestly about hard things and I hope that that less was because it is there's a poignancy to it and it and it touches on some really topics that are hard for me that the joy is 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 earned
1: yes and i and i think what you say about there not being necessarily that book on the shelf is something that rings true um, to my experiences talking to friends that this was a book they had been looking for and hadn't necessarily found on the shelf yet and therefore it it earned uh, a, a certain importance in their lives. And it does it, you know, I, I by focusing on its comedy, I perhaps have have uh covered over its poignancy. But it is both less and less is lost are are very poignant books and and do confront difficult issues. I mean, as as someone who is of of your same era, I find that, you know, the the aspects of aging that are dealt with unless is lost, especially um, for a writer or for someone in, in their career who feels like they, they may have missed the time in which they might have uh, otherwise shown. Um, they, it was very profound for me in those, in those ways. And I don't wanna miss the, the parts of the book that, that speak to very serious issues, even if sometimes in, in comedy.
2: Well, I, I often will be tempted just to talk about these books in, in comic form because I work so hard to give them a glossy surface, but it is the the most notes that I receive through social media are from people who are oddly not our age, but are going through a, some other transition where they feel they've failed, um, where they feel hopelessly unloved. You know, they're turning 25 or turning 30 and it's some, some mark of their own failure and the book seems to give them hope which is the the best thing i could have thought of because i hadn't specifically written to those at all
1: yes it's a i I would imagine the most anyone could hope for from a a piece of literature or art before i let you go i'm i'm be i'd be really excited to hear a little bit about what you're loving to read right now and and whether you have some recommendations for us well i had
2: just finished a book called Journey to the End of the Millennium by an Israeli author, A.B. Yehoshua, which is basically an adventure novel about Jewish, North African Jewish merchants in 999 A.D. France. Uh, wow. <laughs> that sounds a little um, historical, but its I'm saying it, it's an adventure novel. So it, for me, I love... Books that are just a rip-roaring yarn, but also incredibly intelligent and well-written. And this one blew me away.
1: And it's, will you say the title one more time? Journey to the End of the Millennium. To the End of the Millennium. Well, that sounds like a a wonderful adventure novel to add to everybody's bedside table. Andrew, Sean Greer, thank you so much for spending some time with me today. It was really a delight.
2: Thank you for such intelligent and well-thought-up questions. I was really actually moved by them. Thank
1: you. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm touched. Well, that's all for me for now. My great thanks to Andrew Sean Greer for his thoughtfulness and generosity in taking time with me today to talk about Less is Lost. You can find links to Purchase Lest is Lost and Andrew's recommendations at burnedbybooks.com. There you'll find all of our previous episodes and recommendations. Next week, I'll welcome superstar novelist Celeste Ng to the show. Until then, this has been Burned by Books.